If uh, you are one of my pirate ship kiddos, uh, kindergarten through second grade, you can head on out to your right. Got a crew going back there. Anyway, Christmas, um, I think, uh, can be a little bit unbelievable sometimes. I mean, if you really step back and think about it, now we all this Christmas cheer, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool. We give a lot of gifts. We have a lot of decorations, all sorts of stuff. And, uh, but Christmas, if you really step back and think about the kind of the big picture, uh, it, it could be a little bit unbelievable. I mean, here's what we have going on. I mean, you have a virgin conception a little bit strange. You then have a fiance of that virgin who accepts the fact that her, that, that his fiance is, who's he's betrothed to is still a virgin and is pregnant. Uh, that's, that's pretty unbelievable. Then you have multiple occurrences of angels appearing out of heaven in dreams and then in real life, just out in the middle of fields and in small rooms. I mean, you you have angels appearing to people, speaking to them, giving them direction for their life, and they follow that direction uh, without much question. Pretty uh, pretty unbelievable. Uh, and And then you have the maker, what apparently is the maker of the entire universe, our world, the, cre- the creator of all things, coming down to be born as a human and laid in a horse trough. That's what we believe about Christmas. You know, it's a, step back away from all the Christmas stuff now for a second and think about that in the big picture of things. It's, it's, a, little bit, it's, a, it's a little bit unbelievable. Now, now, we get caught up in all of the great Christmas stuff, and it's very joyful, and it's fun, and we have a lot of lights, and we have a lot of gifts, um, and nobody wants to question the Christmas story while it's Christmas, okay? That doesn't really go over well at Christmas dinner, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, when, when grandma comes out and, you know, prays and, and does, does grace, you know, and like says the blessing, right? Um, any Clark, Clark Griswold fans out there? Okay, um, and when, she, when she comes out and says the blessing, like, you don't want to be the guy that's like, well, I don't really believe what she's saying. I mean, it, you don't want to be that guy. It just doesn't, it doesn't really work well. You don't want to be like Debbie Downer and Christmas and say, well, I really don't really believe this. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean, when you're singing a song in church, I mean, you don't want to be like, hark the herald angels sing. Well, maybe, right? Right? Glory to the newborn king. Eh, if you're really, I mean, peace on earth. That's what hippies believe, Right? And mercy mild. I like my salsa mild, but I'm not really sure about my mercy. I don't even know what that means. Right? We, nobody thinks that way during Christmas. Nobody gets concerned about the truth of the story. And I do, I want us to be a church that allows people, I mean, we, we believe, let me say this. We believe that the story that the scripture tells about the birth of Christ is absolutely true. Every single ounce of it is true. And it has tr- tremendous things that change our life based upon this story of the incarnation of Christ coming down and being a man. That's, that's a very important story that we, that we must believe. However, I do want us to be a church in which it is okay to come amongst us and question what the story is really about. I want people to come in and I want them to search. I want them to search out the truths. I want to figure this out. Outside, you know, outside of all the Christmas stuff, I want people to think through the big picture story. Do I really believe this? And if we were honest with ourselves, if we stepped outside of Christmas, if we were honest with ourselves, wouldn't we say 
that sometimes we have doubts about all of that. About all of the angels, about the virgin conception, about all of that. Did that really, really happen? Because I, I think when we step away from the whole Christmas spirit and the Christmas cheer, I think there, there might be some times in our life where we say, hmm, you know, well, it could be true. And I want us to, I want us to work through that because here's the, here's the deal. Our level of trust in the Christmas story, okay, let me say this. I think this will be on the screen. Our level of trust in the truth will determine our action. Now, what I'm going to be talking a lot about, uh, we're going to be looking at the, the passage in Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, uh, it, it'll be up on the screen if you don't. But if you do have a Bible, Luke chapter 2, that's where we're looking. Uh, and we're going to be talking a lot about the shepherds and what the, what the shepherds did when they were told about Jesus' birth. Now, now, our action, like the shepherd's action, has a lot to do with how, how much we trust the truth about Christmas. Because if we absolutely trust what Jesus is about and what the Christmas story is about, it will change and transform our action according to the, amount, according to the absolute truth of, of what it is. And here's the deal. Before I read the story, and, and this is probably one of the most familiar stories in all of the Bible. We, we know this story. Some of you, I mean, this is, this is Linus, you know, telling the story at Christmas. I mean, he, we all know this story pretty well. We've heard it almost every single year. It's so familiar to us that I'm not really even sure we've even really thought about whether we believe it or not. And so before I step into the story, I... I want us to kind of figure out what is the lens in which we're looking through the story. Now, I wear glasses in which this is how I see the world. I have these lenses in which I see the world. We all have a worldview. And if you don't know what a worldview is, a uh, worldview is our culture, our upbringing, our experiences that have shaped, shaped the way that we view everything that has ever happened to us. All of us have a very specific worldview or a lens in which we look at the, at the world. Okay, every experience we look at the world in a different way, depending on who we are. Now, you know, here's just some of my worldview. I am a middle class, educated Christian husband and father who grew up in a loving, intact family. Okay, that's a little bit about who I am and my worldview and how I see the world. Right. And there's a lot to add to that. But every single one of us is a little bit different. And that sentence might change for you. And everybody is significantly different than me. And that's good. But we all have a worldview in which we look. So we're going to take this truth of the scripture in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to throw it through our worldview. And it should, it should get us an action out of it. So we should have this kind of, uh, we should have something on, this, on, on the screen too. That, you know, we have the truth of Christmas. And we're going to throw it through a worldview. And out of that comes an action. Okay, and I'm going to get what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three kind of big spiritual worldviews in which all of us fall into one of these categories. Okay, and we have to we, we, we have to fit into one of these categories and it will determine how we take the Christmas stories and make it actionable. Okay, because I believe that, you know, we've been talking about, um, you know, we talked about making room for Jesus in Christmas. I mean, this idea that we should be listening to God. Last week we talked about filling the room with Jesus, the truth of the gospel. Now we're going to talk about how we're going to share the room. How are we going to get this message out? Now, I, I, can, I can speak up here until I'm blue in the face about how, what our actions should be. But if we don't determine what our worldview is, then it really doesn't matter. 
I can tell you how to act all day long, but until you transform the worldview in which you, would, in which you look at the world, that's, what, that's kind of what really matters. Because this truth is going to go through that, okay? So here's, three, here's what I want to get at before I read the scripture. There's three very specific worldviews. I know this is different than a regular Christmas sermon, but I, want us to, I knew we were going to kind of have this kind of family atmosphere today, so I want to work through this together. <coughs> Excuse me. Three spiritual worldviews in which we see the truth about Christmas. Number one is atheism. Number one is atheism. This is the idea that we come from nothing and that we are going to nothing. That nothing and no one created us. And that there is, there is no God who is going to, that has created us. There is no God who is going to help us. There's no God who is uh, going to comfort us when we need him. There is no God in which we are going to when we die. There is absolutely nothing. We are alone in the universe. And that we have been, uh, we have evolved over trillions upon trillions of years to where we are now. And we will continue to keep going until, I don't know, the universe implodes or something like that. And, and our existence is very menial compared to the rest of the trillions of years of history. Uh, and when we die, we will cease to exist forever because there is nothing beyond what we are right now. There's a very famous uh, philosopher, atheist philosopher. His name is Bertrand Russell. He said this, and this is a complicated quote, but I hope to break it down for you. It says this, that man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes and his fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. Get this, here's what he says. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Let me read that one more time, really really quick. Only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation... Here's what he's saying. That our life is built upon despair. That ultimately, because there is no God, there is no particular use for your life, and you, are, you come from nowhere, you are going to nowhere, and there's not, re- there's not really a whole lot of purpose to who you are, and you will make very little difference in the world in the grand scheme of things. Now, <laughs> that's kind of depressing. Like, if you take atheism out to its, you know, to its logical end, you will get a very depressing life. Now, there's another guy named Richard Dawkins who said this. He was asked about, doesn't your worldview, uh, because he's a pretty famous atheist, doesn't your worldview cause you to be depressed? (laughs) This is what he says. I don't feel depressed about it, but if someone does, then that's their problem. The universe is bleak, cold, and empty, but so what? The universe is bleak, cold, and empty, but so what? If you follow this worldview out to its logical end, it ends in depression, death, maybe even suicide because there's no point in life. Now here's the deal. That's a worldview. So we're going to send truth. We're going to send the truth of what we're about to read in Luke 2. We're going to read the truth of the story. and We're going to throw it through atheism. And what we get is hostile rejection. We get hostile rejection. Not only just rejection hostile rejection, where you are an idiot if you believe what this truth is. That is one particular worldview. 
Now, the second worldview <clears throat> is this. Theism. Theism. Theism, uh, theos is God, it's Greek. Uh, theism means the belief in a God. So theism is a belief in a God of some kind or some type of su- superior being. Uh, religions that would fall into this would be Islam, Judaism, Mormonism, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, you, know, all, you know, all the particular isms. I mean, there's all sorts of religions out there who do believe in some kind of superior being or superior God. And the belief is that God is out there and that God is a judge. And he is a judge of us, and he is in control. Now, <clears throat> it is our job to appease that judge. Because God is the creator, he is looking down onto humankind, he is judging all of that, and it is our job to appease that judge with good actions. Now, here's what happens. Good actions means that God is happy with us and then therefore lets us be into some kind of eternal life. Now, eternal life looks different for all of those different religions, but there is some type of eternal existence in which if we are good people and we do good things, then we get to go to the better end, right? If we do bad things and bad actions, then God is mad at us because God is the ultimate judge who is ready and willing to slug us whenever, whenever he wants to, right? So he, when he is mad at us, and it means he's going to send us to some kind of hell or eternal torment or nothingness. In this worldview, basically what you have is you have a ton of fear. It is based upon fear. That God is up there, but he is a giant bully and judge who is going to absolutely cream us when we do something bad. And he's ready to pounce. So here's, what this, here's, what, here's what, how this logically works out. When bad things happen to, our, to us, in all sorts of different ways, when bad things happen, it means that uh, it means that we've done something wrong. That we have sinned in some kind of way. That's why bad things happen. It's a, it's a give and take kind of situation. Quid pro quo. You do bad things, bad things happen to you. It's a karma type thing. So when you, ha- when, you, when you look at situations like, there are people literally that will look at situations like the Connecticut shooting and say, well, somebody did something wrong there. So therefore, God is punishing them. Now, on the other hand, when, when good things happen, you will have, you, uh, you, you must, somebody, somewhere, s- s- must have done something right. And we hear this all the time. Done, done something right. God is shining down on me. I am blessed, right? Because I've done good things. And therefore, God is blessing me. And God is happy with you. So the actions that come out of this are stuff like, don't drink too much. Make sure you take care of our environment. Be a good parent. Don't cheat on your wife. And make sure that you go to church because that's where God is happiest. And you want to appease the God of happiness. And therefore, it's important for you to go to church. That's theism. And a lot of us, I think, it's possible that a lot of us in this room even fall into this category. Um... And what happens is when we throw the truth of the Christmas story through theism, what we get is fearful appeasement. Fearful appeasement. We're fearful of God. We're fearful that he's going to pounce on us when we do something wrong. And we're just trying to appease him so he doesn't get ticked off at us. Because we don't want that. We don't want God to be ticked at us. So we're just going to appease him. Now the third one is Christianity. Christianity believes that there is a God, and that that God is good, and that God does good. And he, does, he is not dependent upon our actions. He is not looking for us to do good things so that he can be good in return. He created us, and he loves us. He loves his creation. 
Now, the other other part of that, the other flip to the coin, is that God is also just. He is perfect in every way. So when you have something that's not perfect, like sin coming into the picture, he has to deal with that in some kind of way because he is a just judge. Now, he's also good. So having to deal with sin and be good at the same time is something very, very interesting. So, So what God does is that he not only says that I'm going to judge you, he says I'm going to give you the solution to the problem. I'm not going to be the guy in the sky who just wants to pound you whenever I want to because you're doing bad things. He says, I'm going to produce for you a solution. Why? Because you can't do enough good stuff on your own to tip the scales in your favor. That there is so much, the Bible says that there's so much sin in your life and you are completely sinful that there is no way for you to tip that scale so that you're more good than bad. In fact, all of us are completely bad. And God has given us his image so that we do, we can work out good things in our life. Now, that solution is something that we celebrate with Christmas. The solution is, is that God doesn't stay up on his perch. Because theism is, I need to get up to God. I need to get up to God. I need to get up to God. And I'm going to do enough good things so that I can get up to God to appease him. What Christianity says is that God leaves his throne and comes down to us because we can't get to him. And he becomes the solution for us in Jesus Christ, where Jesus comes, becomes a man, the incarnation or uh, the birth of Christ becomes a man and then takes on our sin on the cross, substitutes his own life for us, and then allows us to have life through his resurrection from the dead that we celebrate at Easter. Now, here's what happens then. Because of this truth, we become not only uh, acceptors of this truth, we also become projectors of this truth. That we take this knowledge because it's been given to us for free. We take all of this and we project it to the rest of the world because we want everyone else to know about this truth. Because why? Because it becomes joyful to us. And God allows us to be a part of the story. Not only does he come down to us, he stays within us. You know what what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. He stays with us and then allows us to to spread him all over the world so that other people might know who he is. And so when we have an action, we send the truth of the Christmas story through Christianity, through the worldview of Christianity, we have what comes out on the other side is joyful obedience. Joyful obedience. That's a big difference between fearful appeasement, where I think many of us are sometimes. So the truth put through the lens of Christianity is joyful (coughs) obedience. Now here's the actions that come out of that. So we don't, we're not gluttonous. We don't get drunk. Why? Because our body is a temple. Not because God's going to get mad at us, but because God created us and he has sustained our life and he wants to continue to to sustain that life. We take care of the environment because we're we're not the creator. He is. And we want to take care of what God has created. We are good parents because we, and we want to love our children. Not, not because we want to, you know, God, God's going to get mad at us, or because, but because God is a good father and we want to be a good example to our children so that they can know, one day know who God is because God is good. That we, want to t- we don't want to cheat on our wife or cheat on our husband. Why? Because God doesn't cheat on us. 
and we want to be a part of the church because we want to be joyful and obedient to take the same message and the same truth that we have and spread it off into the world under the same vision and same mission as a local body of believers. That's why we go to church. Not so that we can check it off a list. Not because that's what, that's what people do. But because we're a part of something that's transforming our life that needs to go out to everyone. Now, with all of that in mind, now we're going to read the Christmas story. You ready? Luke chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. <clears throat> and in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, I want, I want you to get this real quick. Shepherds were the worst of the entire society. They were hated. They, they, were, not, they were not even allowed. I mean, people thought they were liars. They weren't allowed to even, like, give testimony in court because they were so dirty and awful. They weren't, because they had to keep their sheep, they weren't able to, uh, they weren't able to go to the temple on a regular basis. I mean, they were, they were considered dirty, nasty, irreligious, gross people. Uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about the, like, I mean, people who take care of the garbage, people who take care of, like, horse stuff in the stables. I mean, this is, these are the shepherds. Not exactly who you want to be the first people to tell about the, the Savior of the world. Okay, but as we have seen, Jesus comes in a humble estate that, that, that he comes and is born and put in a horse trough. And then the first people that tell about his birth are people that are a bunch of shepherds that people hate. And an angel of the Lord, again, this amazing picture, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them out in the field and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with, give me that word right there, fear. Shepherds up until this point, theists or Christians? Theists. Filled with fear. Filled with sin. Filled with, I need to appease. I need to do the right thing. And filled with fear. And the angel said to them, what does he say? Fear not. Why? Because God is good. And he does good things. That's one of the best verses in all the Bible. Get ready. For behold, I bring you, what is that word? Good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That word good news, if you have a pen circle in your Bible, you know what that is? That's gospel. It's actually the, the Greek word that's used is translated into gospel. I have good news for you. That is for what? Who is it for? Is it for you specifically or who is it for? It's for everybody. It's for all of the people, not just you. I don't want you to just take it and hold it and hold it in and you just keep this little secret. It is for everybody. I want you to give it to everyone. It is good news for everybody, not just you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Those three, those three words are never again found in, found in Scripture so closely put together. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior who, who Christ is called to be. This is what he is going to do, his action. He is the Savior of the world. Christ, meaning he is the one. He is the only one sent from God. He is going to be the one, the Messiah. And then Lord, his authority. What God has given to him in authority. Savior 
who is Christ the Lord. Now, if you put that through an atheistic worldview, you're going to struggle with that verse right there. Because you don't believe that. But this baby, this baby in a manger, this one who has come, is Savior, Christ, and Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there, will be, uh, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The same language here is the salvation coming down. One, people who are blessed. And what you have here is the salvation of these, of these shepherds. That God comes down to us. The heavenly hosts come down onto the shepherds. Speak down to them. They don't go up to them. They come, God comes down to them. And I love this. You might say, well, that's, that's, that's angels, right? Uh, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which who? The Lord has made known to us. Notice it doesn't say the, sh- the angels. Who told them? The angels. The messenger. But how, how do they know it? They know it because the Lord. This is something that transformed their heart. These are no longer theists. These are no longer who, people who believe in a God who is going to judge them. But a, 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 they, they are Christians who believe in the Messiah, who are going to go see him, going to go meet him, going to go be with him. And then what are they going to do? They're going to take that same message that the Lord had given to them, and they're going to bring it out into the world. And they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been known, (coughs) that been told to them concerning this child. And all who had who who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, now circle that word wondered, right? Wondered what the shepherds had told them. Remember, these are people that everybody hated. Nobody appreciated the shepherds. Nobody wanted them in their house. Nobody wanted them in their inn. They slept outside. They, nobody really even talked to them. They were awful. But you do have a group of people that were at one time completely forbidden to being even around normal society and people were wondering. People were interested in what the shepherds have to say. They weren't just crazy farmers anymore. These are people with something to say that their passion meant something important. Now, was it the shepherd's job to transform people's hearts? Nope. It was their job to set up the date. Right? Was it their job to make them believers? Absolutely not. That's only God's job. But it is their job to tell the truth about who Jesus is. To introduce Jesus to the rest of the world. That's their function. And that's ours too. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. So they go off, and they glorify God for everything that had been done, and they begin to tell everybody about what's going on. So we have a choice. And I want you to notice something that's pretty important. There are two types of people in, in the whole Christmas story that, is, that their worldview is, is, is completely different. You have a group of people, the, the angel, I'm sorry, the, the, the Romans, 
What did Herod want to do? We didn't talk about this in, in the scripture. It's a different part of the story, but you might know this. Uh, we actually read about it. Herod wanted to what? Kill the baby Jesus. Why? Because he wanted to be king. He wanted to be theos. He wanted to be God. He wanted to put away any other gods that were around him. He wanted complete control. This is a man who had no God, who had no higher authority, and he was hostile against the truth. Now, he's mentioned in the story. He's mentioned in the story. Other people who are mentioned in the story are the religious Pharisees. People who were expecting something but didn't get what they, what they expected and whined and cried like small little children. And they too were atheistic. They weren't interested in the God of the Bible. They weren't interested in what the God supreme being of the universe is going to do. They were interested only in their tradition. And they are mentioned. And then there's the people, the second kind of people that were there were those who accepted the truth and obedience. Those are the two people who exist in this story. People who have no interest for what God and who are hostile to the gospel altogether and people who accept it in joyful obedience. Here's what, here's what never really makes the Bible. People who believe that God did something but never do anything, to, never do anything in, in, as an action. People who are just kind of apart. They believe it, but it really doesn't matter to them. That's who isn't mentioned in the story at all. Here's what I want to be. I do not want us to be a church that sits right there in the middle. A bunch of people who believe in a certain story but have no action. That believe that God exists, but he's just there so so that we can appease him. And do good things, and serve good people, and give a little bit, and show a little love, but it really doesn't matter that much because we're just trying to appease God so that we that, so he doesn't freak out on us a little bit. I want us to accept people who have who are hostile to the gospel inside of our church so that we can we can search the scripture with them. They can search the truth with them. I want those people here within our midst so that we can walk alongside with them. That's who I want in this church. And I also want people who are abandoning their life to the obedience of the word of God. That say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I believe in a truth, and that truth has consequences in my life. And it means that I'm joyful, obedient to tell all of the world, like the shepherds, what God has done in my life. There is no room in the scripture and in this church for people who just believe who God is, but have no interest in doing anything about it. So here's a couple steps I want us to take. In the new year, uh, I can't, I'm looking forward to January 6th where we get to talk about where the church is, what we've done, and where the church is going in the future. It's going to be a, a really cool day, and I really hope that you'll join us uh, in two weeks from today. Um, take a break until then. It's going to be, have some time with your family. I know we're going to have some great time with my family, so just rest. But get ready on January 6th because we are going to, we're going to really pursue what God would have us do for 2013. And, uh, and we've got, we got some big ideas and we've got some big vision. And it means that we're going to empower you to try to get out what the shepherds are talking about. To go, to become, to go from theists to Christians and to, to, move from, uh, to, to move from appeasement of God to joyful obedience. We're going to resource you to be able to jump, make that jump. And we want to make sure that everybody becomes a part of, of what we're doing here at the church at Gain Bay. 
So here's two questions that I want us to, and you can write these things out, that I want you to talk about over the Christmas season with your family. Maybe, maybe grab one of your family members uh, over dinner. You'll have plenty of time. You should. Uh, grab a family member. Ask these two questions, okay? Write these out. It says this. What if this story was really true? Get away from the Christmas stuff for a second. Get away from the songs. Get away from the gifts. Get away from everything and ask this question. Look at somebody as seriously as can be and say, what if this story really was true? Secondly, what would change if you had a shepherd experience? What would change about your life if you had a shepherd experience? Where God just showed up on the scene and you went from being fearful appeaser of who God is to being joyfully obedient to what God wants you to do. What would change in your life if that shepherd experience happened? Let's pray again. (laughs) God, thank you uh, for commissioning us. (laughs) Thank you for the story of Christmas. I thank you that it's true, and I thank you that it has tremendous consequences into our life. Thank you that that we get to come together as a church um, and just kind of bask in the glory of the story, sing about it, love you because of it. I'm thank you for the kind of the family day that we've had today. Father, as we've come together to worship you, and I, Father, I ask... Um, that we would really consider, do we truly believe this? Do we really believe that what the Bible says is really true? <laughs> and Father, I pray that you would walk with us on that. I know you will. And I pray that you would give our church a sense of hope that we know that this is true. And God, I pray that when you do show up onto the scene, and you show up into our hearts, that we would be joyfully obedient. And we would never fall away Father, that when, when sin and temptation come, that we would run to you, not away. But God, that we would be the messengers of hope to the world. And that we would take this story and broadcast it. Thank you, Jesus, for Christmas. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us. And God, we're looking forward to, as a church, we're looking forward to what you're going to do next year. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you for a great year of worshiping together right here. And um, let's, oh, we got one more song, right? Famous song about go telling, right? It's going to be fun. It's going to be good.